And for our text tonight, we'll read from Paul's epistle to the Romans, looking at the 8th chapter, Romans chapter 8, and reading the 31st verse, Romans 8, 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Of course, when this was written, the city of Rome was the capital of the current empire of the world. Ultimately, the Roman Empire would rule most of what we know as Europe. And in fact, the Roman Empire has had quite a significant impact even on all of us today. It's where the concept of elected officials, the idea of a senate, the democratic uh, process, all of this was very much influenced by the Roman Empire. A couple of phrases that uh, we're familiar with, such as, when in Rome, or all roads lead to Rome. First one probably came several years into uh, this particular empire, and and the last phrase, perhaps after the Roman Empire, but the second one uh, was in relationship to their their structure of roads that they built, where the roads would lead to the center of the city. If I understand correctly, a statue would be set up, and you could go throughout the empire, and there would be a way, by way of their roads, to reach the center of that city. So it's really much like we see our roads today. That's where sort of the idea came from, their extensive road system. Another influence is actually the modern-day use of concrete. It was the Romans that really first used concrete, similar to how we do today, to build their cities and to build their structures. So Rome laid the foundation of what we know as modern construction, We first find Rome mentioned in Acts chapter 2. This, of course, was the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had filled the house in a miraculous way, and they were in the upper room. The Bible says that they were baptized with the Holy Ghost, and they spake how it's referred to in the Scripture as in other tongues. And in that particular account, there are different cities or regions or nations that are mentioned. In verse 10 of Acts chapter 2, it says, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Kyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. Well, the word strangers here simply means that they were visitors or sojourners would be a kind of an old English way of saying it. But he says, uh, the writer says here, which would be Luke in Acts, the Acts account, Jews and proselytes means that those from Rome were both Jews and non-Jews. So they would have been non-Jews or Gentiles that were observing Judaism, and they were there for the feast. The day of Pentecost was a time where they would come to Jerusalem to enjoy this festival but they got to witness to the very hour of God fulfilling this feast when the Spirit of God fell. Rome had a population of about a million 
It's thought, and in, in those days, if I understand correctly, that was massive. In fact, uh, Rome, relative to the second largest city in its empire, was five times as large. There's a place in Scripture that is mentioned, Alexandria. Acts 18.24 says that Apollos, that he was an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, and he was born at Alexandria. That was sort of city number two in their structure. But it's thought there were probably forty to 50,000 Jews that lived in Rome at this time. And it's likely that those that were observing the day of Pentecost, they were converted and they went back to Rome, and that's how the church started. In fact, in this letter, Paul, he's not writing to a specific church, but he's writing very broadly. So it's much different than like Thessalonica or Corinth, where there were specific problems or issues that they were dealing with. If we look at uh, verse 7 of chapter 1, Paul addresses it this way, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there were probably several small gatherings and homes. There may have been several churches. And Paul's idea was to address all of them sort of at once. Paul was likely on his uh, third missionary trip at this time. And he was in a place of, called Corinth that we're familiar with. I uh, looked at a map. It was probably 600 miles away. But um, what's unique is Paul has not yet visited this place. He'd never been there. He didn't start these churches. He, he wasn't addressing specific challenges. But we do find that at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is boarding a ship with an intent to go on to Rome, the Bible tells us. And in the process of time on this trip, if you read through it, there were problems. Um, the Bible talks about how the wind um, wasn't really working very well in their favor and they weren't making very good progress. In fact, it was quite slow in terms of progress. And in Acts 27, uh, the chapter, second chapter to the end of Acts in verses 9 through 10, it says, Now, when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now, now already passed, Paul admonished them. This is verse 10 of uh, Acts 27. And said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage... Uh, will be with hurt and much damage, not only on the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. Well, they don't listen to Paul. They leave anyway, and the Bible tells us how they encounter this great storm, and, and in verse 18 it says, and we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest. This was a bad idea. They should have listened to Paul, but Paul, the Bible tells us here in this account that he has an encounter with the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord says, you must appear before Caesar, and because of that, I'm going to save you and all those that are on board. Well, they're shipwrecked, and it actually says it's a place where two seas come together, so the, it's very tempestuous at this place, and they're literally shipwrecked, and they're floating in the ocean on pieces of the ship. But they make it to land. And in chapter 28, the last chapter of Acts, they land on a place called Malta. And of course, this is the account where the Apostle Paul is bit by the snake and uh, he is miraculously not 
uh, injured by the snake. He's miraculously saved. And at the end of uh, chapter 28, verses 11 to the very end of the chapter, finally we find Paul at Rome. And this is likely, if I understand correctly, why Romans is right after the book of Acts. It made sense. He made it to Rome, and then we have the book of Romans, or the letter or the epistle of the Romans. But what's unique about this particular letter is a lot of times it's referred to as Paul's gospel. Similar to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul has a gospel because it's so comprehensive on how he approaches it, defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's often pointed out that the first seven chapters culminate at chapter 8. Like chapter 8 is the big deal. In fact, some have referred to it as the greatest chapter, chapter 8 in Romans. It's really probably key to this particular chapter or this particular book. And some even think it's the most important chapter of all of Paul's writings. Look at verse 1 in chapter 8. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Paul turns the corner when he gets to chapter 8. I understand that there are two times prior in the first seven chapters where the Spirit of God is mentioned. And I counted this afternoon 19 times in just this chapter that Paul refers to the Spirit of God. See, in particular, in chapter 7, he's talking about a warfare. He's talking about a lack of victory. He's clearly talking about condemnation, this battle between sin and the law, battle between the flesh, and up and down a back-and-forth spiritual way of life, trying to live for the Lord in one's own strength or by way of the flesh. But wait for chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation. That, that sounds like victory. To them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The key is life in the spirit. The key is living in the spirit. The key is walking in the spirit. The key is to live according to the way that the spirit of God would have us to live. In verse 5, he says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. It's a decision of which path in life we want to take. Mind the things of the flesh or mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. This is verse 6. That sounds like chapter 7. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's no condemnation. There's life in living by way of the Spirit. There's peace in living by way of the Spirit. And we have, he goes on to talk about the greatest hope of all creation when we live life in the Spirit. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him, the Spirit of God, that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. I'm reading quite a bit from chapter 8, but it's exciting stuff. The Spirit of God in our lives is what's key to our immortality. The Spirit of God is what's key to us making the rapture of the church. The Spirit of God is what gives us a hope. The Spirit of God is the key to a complete transformation of our bodies one day, instantaneously, supernaturally, 
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You want to talk about victory? Have an encounter with the Spirit of God. Like the testimony that Sister Yvonne gave where the Spirit of God came down and touched her and she knew and there was a relief. That's the beginning of it. He says in verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. All creation was made by God, and you and me, we are his sons if we walk and are led by way of the Spirit of God. We don't have to wonder if we've had an encounter of God. We don't have to hope if we've had an encounter of God. We don't have to wander in confusion on whether or not we have an encounter with God. Once we have had an encounter with the Spirit of God, it's God. He'll make it known in our hearts and in our lives can be referred to as a supernatural touch, a confirmation from heaven, an experience that happens in our spirit through the Spirit of God in our hearts. Paul goes on to continue on the Spirit of God, address times of difficulty or even times of darkness. In verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That word infirmities would speak of our weaknesses. It can refer to even a sickness. We might feel like we have a a lack of strength or even feebleness is another word that that it's referring to here. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is God himself interceding and praying for you and me by way of a spirit. And he's referring to it even in a manner that cannot be uttered or spoken by the human language. You know, there are times in our lives when we we know something needs to happen. We know the hand of God needs to move. We know that God needs to repair or, or change a situation or, or mend a situation. And we get to a point sometimes where we don't even know how to pray for it. That is to say, we don't know what words to pray for because we don't even know what the answer is. I believe this is where God prays for us. Sometimes have you prayed and all you can pray is the name of Jesus or all you can pray is God help me or or you know that there's a problem and you don't know what the answer is. And so you can just fall on the Lord with it. And I believe the spirit of God in this scripture tells us he intercedes on our behalf. And finally, in the three verses prior to our text, Paul begins to make a defining case. He's already laid out how the Spirit of God works in the life of a Christian. He says, as people of God, or those that are called by God, all things work together for good. Those are pretty drastic words. All things work together for good. Why? He goes on to say, called according to his purpose. Because as a Christian, we are called according to his purpose, and as such, all things work together for good. That word, all, that phrase, all things, can help us but wonder in our humanity. Really? All things? Can all things in this pandemic we're going through, can that work together for good? When we think about lockdowns, face masks, kids not being able to go to school normally, and all of the things that we've learn to live with 
Does it include that? Can an election work together for good, regardless of who you voted for? You can't help but notice that you can look around and you can see a country that's ripped apart in terms of opposing arguments, whether what side somebody might be on. That's not good. Can all of this work together for good? Well, the scripture here says that God has called us. That's, I'm reading from God's word. He's called us. That's what it says in verse 28. It says here that God has a purpose in verse 28. And so all things include all things. They do work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose. He goes on to say in verse 30 that we as Christians are conformed to the image of his son. Think about that. Try and grasp that. We are literally conformed to the image of his son and called. He uses that word again and justified. And then he goes on to say and glorified. We're going to be glorified because we live life in the spirit, because we're called, because he has justified us. And it's because it's his promise and we're living according to his purpose. And so really, to me, what stuck out as a culmination of all this is in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? Wow. No matter how bad it may get, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how disappointing it may get around us, God is for us. God, he wins the battle. God is in charge. Nothing, nobody, no group, no movement, nothing else. Not the enemy of our souls can stand against God because if God be for us, who can be against us? In fact, Paul even lists uh, specific situations in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation, or we might say trouble or distress. Another word might be anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or which would refer to danger or sword, fighting literally or figuratively, striving or war. These are horrible things that we see around the world that Christians are experiencing, non-Christians are experiencing, this world is experiencing. But Paul says in verse 37, nay, No, definitively no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Wow. The word of God says it perfectly. I'm just going to keep reading from God's word. And in verse 38, for I am persuaded, he goes on to say, that neither death nor life, whether you're in the grave or whether you're alive as a Christian, nor angels, nor principalities, That speaks of powers and different kinds of powers, nor powers, nor things present, things that we're enduring or going through right now, nor things to come, whatever may be in the future. It's not talking about just the future then, but we can, this verse is for us, the future right now, nor height, nor depth. We go through a good time. We go through a bad time, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We win. We have guaranteed victory. We have the best as Christians. We are more than conquerors. The victory is ours as Christians. Whose side are you on? One side wins and one side loses. There's no middle ground. I want to be on the Lord's side. 
I want to be on the victor side. I want to be joint hairs with Christ. I want to live according to the spirit of God, not according to the flesh. I want to walk in the spirit. I want to talk and live a life within the spirit of God, how God would have us to. We want to be encouraged to choose the winning side tonight. We want to have an encounter with the spirit of God. If you need your sins forgiven, you need to ask for forgiveness. The spirit of God is calling you. You might be at home. You might be listening in. You might be here. And we do believe in a setting just like this, that the call of God goes out. And God has chose you. He's called you. He talks about predestination in this particular chapter. And that is for who would ever answer the call. Because the call goes out to all humanity. They are predestined to make heaven. But you have a choice. It's not a specific group. All humanity is called. And he's calling tonight. He's calling you. Choose Christ. Choose life. See, the Spirit of God works when we are saved. He, he calls us. The blood of Jesus is applied to our heart. The Bible even talks about the Spirit of God applying the blood of Jesus at sanctification. And a work that that is. And then we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't want to miss out on any of the works of grace, salvation, and sanctification. And then we don't want to miss out on receiving the Spirit of God in our lives. And that's what God would have us to receive. And that's the admiration tonight. Receive of God. Receive of the Spirit of God. The song is 596. We encourage each and every one to pray.